The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Thursday night. It is July 9th, the year of our Lord, 2020. This is going to come as a shocker, but read the marquee. Yes, we do indeed have a jam-packed show tonight. We, of course, are going to lead momentarily with the big and, in some cases, I'm told, shocking news out of Big Ten country today. We are also going to rank 1 to 14. Not one of those halfway jobs we sometimes do. 1 to 14 the head coaching jobs in the Southeastern Conference. Great question that was submitted for the Late Kick Extra podcast that we released yesterday. If you're watching on Thursday, I'm referring to Wednesday. Uh, download that one and listen to it. Really good stuff yesterday. We got 32 questions in, Colin, in 70-some-odd minutes. We're also going to talk tonight about Jamie Newman. We're continuing our College Football in 2020 Most Important Series. We have not talked about Jamie Newman and the Georgia quarterback. Uh, well, at least we think he will be the starting quarterback there in those terms, so we'll hit that. And then I had another really good question that was submitted earlier today about Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer is about a year, a little over a year into his new endeavor in the world of college football media. And there were very mixed reviews as to how he'd fare there. And I was part of that mixed review because I knew that on one hand he had the knowledge and the acumen, obviously, to run circles around anyone, but I didn't know necessarily if the passion would be there. Well, those concerns have been alleviated, so I'm going to touch on that to end the show. But man, where would you start if you ran this show tonight? Where else? So if you have a life and you weren't able to just stay connected to Twitter all day and keep hitting refresh, and if you fit that description, God bless you. You have a much better day than we have had so far here. Here's what's happened. Reports came out a few hours ago, Big Ten planning to play conference games only. You know I don't like using notes on the show, but I had to write all this down. Now, no schedule has been released, so there figures to be a revised schedule. Maybe they play eight games. It seems like they want to play a 10-game conference schedule. Don't know when that schedule would be released. Among the perceived casualties here, Ohio State, Oregon, gone. Washington, Michigan, gone. Iowa, Iowa State, gone. That Wisconsin-Notre Dame game, they've already talked about rescheduling that one, gone. Penn State-Virginia Tech, gone. I don't need to go down the entire list, you understand. Now, the SEC and the Big 12, it sounds like, and Brandon Marcello's done some really good reporting on this today, and some other of our 24-7 uh, sports folks from all across the country have, and uh, we'll give them shout-outs in due time, but it sounds like the SEC, at least as a league, was kind of taken by surprise that the Big Ten went ahead with this announcement today. See, there's a difference in knowing that the discussions are going on and releasing the announcement. It sounds like pretty much everyone was taken off guard and sort of on their heels when the announcement was made, which is not necessarily surprising to me, but noteworthy nonetheless. It, per Brett, Mur uh, yeah, Brett McMurphy at Stadium, reports that the ACC is probably heavily leaning towards going this route. No official announcement yet. And uh, again, Brandon Marcello, if you want the latest up-to-date fact-based reporting on this, I would just follow his Twitter account. The guy's been a step ahead of virtually every 
curveball that's been thrown at us, to use a different sports analogy here. Uh, Chip Brown over at Horns 24-7 has some really good stuff out in the last couple of hours about the Big 12 side of things. So there's a lot of, in fact, there's not a lot of really good reporting going on. There's some good reporting going on, and then there's a lot of, you know, Ooh, ooh. Just the seals that clap in unison and pretty much regurgitate what the few out there are reporting. It's the 595 rule we've talked about here. So there is no real authority on this. And with that, let's dive in. My takeaways, this is going to be very free-flowing. The first thing I thought when I saw this is G5s are screwed. FCS programs could very well be screwed here. Uh, this is certainly not to take a shot. This is no day to take a shot at anyone, but we have long maintained on this program that one of the main reasons that we don't support auto bids of any kind in a playoff or G5 is because we didn't feel like they played the same sport as their Power 5 counterparts. And the perfect example is on display here. If you need to lean on a pillar in order to support your very existence, you're not equal to that pillar. So this is not necessarily the day that I want to spend 10 minutes on that subject, but it's a perfect case study. You think about the revenue that not only is nice to get, but is depended on for programs like Bowling Green, for programs like Louisiana Monroe, but even programs like Memphis, Central Florida. What happens there? I don't know. I have no clue what happens there. Now, I'll tell you one program that I saw a lot of people resort to talking about that I don't think is in trouble is Notre Dame. And Notre Dame will get things figured out. Don't worry about Notre Dame. Now, Here's some of the questions that I have, some of the questions that I looked at my inbox and I saw you guys asking. Uh, we may be a little short on answers tonight, but see, what we're not going to do that you can have plenty of, again, if you just peruse Twitter, is just guess all over the place. Well, if I have no clue, I'll tell you, I have no clue. Do we assume that there is uniformity in the decision-making process? I think up until today, a lot of people wanted to somewhat... Uh, willfully, ignorantly believe that there was uniformity across the Power Five landscape, and you wanted to believe that there was this Zoom powwow going on every morning where all the conference commissioners and athletic directors and presidents and you know high-level executives, they were all just meeting in secret, and you guys doing anything today? You guys making a move today? What? No. Okay. Scout's honor. No one's making a move today. Yeah, well, that got shattered into a million pieces like a Stone Cold Steve Austin entrance because it looks like there were conversations, according to Chip Brown's report that I read a little while ago, there were conversations between the Big 12 and the Big 10 this morning. It's like they walked into the lobby and saw each other over at the breakfast table this morning and not a word was spoken about, oh, by the way, we got an announcement coming today. No one knew it. So, what does that mean? Our Brandon Marcello, who has done some great reporting on this, and uh, my money is on continuing to do great reporting on this, he has long called for one thing that I don't support, and that's college football playoff expansion. But one thing that he has called for that has had my attention for a while and I probably do support is a central authority figure in college football, or as you may know them, czars. Who would it be? Who would decide that? I don't know. But it is a five-alarm cluster right now when you don't even have the commissioners and leadership of one Power Five conference, so much as disseminating to the other Power Five conferences, uh, heads up, in 30 minutes, just give me a 30 minute heads up, we're gonna make a move, we're gonna make an announcement. So there is no uniformity. Uh, there is no decision making and I'm gonna let you know and I'm gonna let you know, that's out of here. So with that in mind, we ask this. It was assumed, I was doing a hit with Mark Ryan on ESPN Upstate today, pretty much as this news was breaking and one of the things we talked about that I'm going to be bold enough to tell you I don't have a clue on right now, is number one, will every Power Five conference follow suit? I think the general consensus now is 
it's not a matter of if but when that happens, but it's not a foregone conclusion quite yet. If they don't, then what happens to out-of-conference scheduling and whatnot? Now, if they do, we understand no one's playing any out-of-conference games. I don't know that everyone necessarily has crossed the bridge publicly or behind the scenes to just deciding, uh, forget about it, we're going out of conference only. And reading between the lines, it sounds like there was some moderate to severe aggravation in the conference offices of maybe the SEC, Big 12, etc., that this move was made because they don't want to punt quite yet on the concept of playing out of conference games. And then you think, I saw this idea floated around a little bit. I told some of our guys I was thinking the same thing earlier today. You think about conferences like the SEC and the ACC that geographically overlap each other already, and you obviously have a number of -of out-of-conference tie-ins, whether it be Georgia, Georgia Tech, South Carolina, Clemson, uh, Florida, Florida State, et cetera. You already have a lot of annual rivalry games there anyway. You wonder, you know, if you could standardize the health guidelines between conferences, Who's to say that the ACC and the SEC don't say, well, you know what? If everyone wants to play a couple of -of out-of-conference games and the overall landscape allows us to do that later in the year, well, you free tomorrow? I'm free tomorrow. You got 14? I got 14. Uh, Three or four of ours are already hooked up. So yeah, let's see what we can do. I don't know that that's a bridge that's necessarily been burned. Mm, I think that the lighter fluid is already in place and the matches have been purchased. I don't think that the bridges have been burned yet. Now, as for the Big Ten's schedule, and theoretically, if everyone else makes this move, other conferences' schedules, I don't know how this is handled. I don't know if uh, it's a mess and it looks like, you know, death by 100 baseball bat swings, or if just one announcement's made and here's our conference schedule. But um, it does at least, if this is going to go off without a hitch, it does at least give you some ray of sunshine of knowing, well, everyone loves the NFL schedule release date. Maybe we'll have a college football conference schedule release date. It's got to happen sometime. They got to get figured out first, but it's got to happen sometime. But here's what I was talking to Colin about a little while ago. Now, if you're in the camp that believes, oh, we're not going to play football, then this is irrelevant. If you're in the camp that believes we're going to play it, but it's definitely going to be delayed, this also may be irrelevant. But If there's one thing that you can take away from these announcements, and this was the first but won't be the last, if there's one thing you can take away from that announcement, if you woke up this morning and you had taken a lot of this silence over the last few days to mean that everyone was kind of quietly shifting their attention to the spring, well, this shreds that into a million pieces. Pretty obvious people's focus is on the fall and having a fall football season. Whether that happens or not, that's another discussion for another show. But here's what it does. What it does is it also puts on the table the question of when do you start? And I think when you go with an eight or 10 game schedule, the goal has to be start that thing as soon as you can. It's obvious in listening to some of the language out of the Big Ten today. They want to start it as early as they can. In this industry, if we're stacking a show, we have this concept called the accordion concept. And basically what it is, is if we're stacking an hour long show, we know where the commercial breaks are, we know what our runtime is, we want to put a topic at the very back end of an hour that we could shrink to five minutes if we wanted to, or we could expand it to 15 minutes, i.e. the accordion. It expands, it contracts. I'll tell you who's a good accordion player is Bruce Hornsby. Tears it up on piano, but he knows accordion too. 
the season could very well be an accordion season if you can start it early enough. If you got a 10-week season or a nine or an eight-week season and you start it in early September, well, then you give yourself so much wiggle room if you do have a delay, if you do have a stoppage, if you do have to make an unforeseen move. But if you start it and you have X number of dates to get in X number of games and the games and the Xs really match, then you don't have much wiggle room. So that was what a majority of people's initial reactions consisted of today. But here was mine. Everyone's thinking that. I'm thinking that too. But what I thought about is, let's say we get the season off the ground. Anytime someone's flown for the first time, or maybe you've flown for a hundred times, but you're flying in severe weather for the first time, you, you're white knuckling it. And then here we go off down the runway and you're just praying, you're praying, you're praying. And even though the math doesn't add up, you think there's no better than a 50-50 chance we even get this thing off the ground. But then it gets off the ground and it's shaky and it's turbulent. But finally, you get above that cloud deck and things smooth out and you know, okay, we've at least got it off the ground. If we get the college football season off the ground and we start speculating on things other than, hey, are we going to be able to play? And we start talking about actual football matters. Does anyone have the slightest clue how the college football playoffs going to be handled this year? More specifically, does anyone among us have the slightest clue how you're going to determine ratings if people are playing unbalanced schedules? Do any of you have any concept of how much more difficult it's going to be to determine something like a strength of schedule? Take Oregon, for example. You know, the Oregon Ducks were going to play Ryan Day's Ohio State Buckeyes. You see him here if you're watching the YouTube live feed in week two. And no matter how soft you thought the Pac-12 conference schedule was going to be that Oregon may play this year, I'm spitballing here, even if you thought that that conference schedule was charm and soft, you were going to be able to have that data point of Ohio State. And no matter how much you criticized, it could be Clemson and Notre Dame too, no matter, no matter how much you criticized Clemson's conference schedule, they were going to have that data point against Notre Dame. And so we don't have those anymore in all likelihood, especially with the Ohio State-Oregon example. How do you determine strength of schedule? A lot of times, you know, conferences are bubbles and rarely do teams exit their bubbles, but there is some overlap. And so you do have some overlapping of conferences where you can get some kind of comparative analysis. You don't have any of that. If things shake out the way it looks like they're trending, you don't have any of that. So now more than ever, I think is a time to implement what I have long thought should be implemented anyway in the college football playoff selection and rating process. There are people who jumped the shark tenfold a while back when people started talking gambling in a mainstream fashion. Everyone wanted to have the hottest take on gambling. And so some people jumped 10 steps too far and said, well, hey, why don't we just use Las Vegas point spread projections in the college football playoff rankings process? Well, the answer, friend, is because that would be stupid and it would forego the entire concept of football games and results on the field mattering. You know, it's not Xbox, it's real life. We've been doing simulations right now, but we're doing simulations to pass the time because we don't have real games. If you have real games, then you're not doing simulations. That's not how Vegas should ever be incorporated into the college football playoff selection process. Here's where they always have had a fit and where I've always had a big beef. When strength of schedule is determined in this sport, it is a very, for lack of a better term, a bastardized way of determining pure strength of schedule. I was talking with someone very dialed in on the Las Vegas odds-making side of things earlier today, and the basic idea was any time that you could take a raw Vegas power rating concept and insert it 
into a ratings process or a rankings process, it's better for it. Because by default, you know that the only bias, everyone's always worried about bias, the only bias that is included in a pure Vegas odds maker style rating of a team is getting it right. They can't afford to be wrong. Quite literally, their livelihoods depend on it. And here's where it really comes into play. Where it comes into play is, I'm just gonna use teams out of the blue here. We could have North Carolina this year. You take away Central Florida on their schedule, you took away Auburn on their schedule, those were gonna be two major data points. North Carolina doesn't play Clemson in the regular season. UNC, who a lot of people are high on to varying degrees, UNC could run the slate undefeated and you could be sitting there and you could be asking yourself, where do we rank them? Because you could have a one-loss team in, let's say, the Big Ten, yeah, I call it the Big Ten East, or you could have a one-loss team in the SEC West and you could try and be figuring out strength of schedule and by default, since everyone has to play everyone else, like I could take a conference full of NFL teams and not all of them would be undefeated. It would certainly be the strongest conference in the world, but without cross-pollination of conference schedules, you have no real way of knowing. And I'm not saying that using Vegas ratings to determine a strength of schedule is foolproof, but I do trust that process a whole heck of a lot more than just putting people in a room and just trusting that their eyeballs can tell me how good this team is, this team is, and this team is that I've played, and they're going off more than just uh, well, how many points have they scored per game? What's their record? You know, all that's heavily impacted, obviously, in the incestuous nature, again, for lack of a better term, as to the fact that you're just playing the same teams over and over again. So the strength of schedule is something that I'd really love to see them take a look at. Everyone else is going down the road of let's expand the playoff this year. And that's all well and good. You know how against it I am. But if the season's going to be a wash as it relates to normalcy, then fine. Run your experiment. I get the sneaking suspicion that the outcome may be to the detriment of what your long-term wishes are. I guess we'll have more time to talk about that later. But if you want to go auto bids this year, if you want to try your precious 18 playoff this year, I don't care. Throw an auto bid to the English Premier League. Why not? You want to give auto bids to everyone else, try it this year. Just make sure you watch the first round of aforementioned playoff. But in conclusion, just remember... There aren't a whole lot of answers right now. And remember the 595 rule. Everyone's talking out there. A lot of folks have opinion. Very few facts. In fact, even in decision-making positions, sometimes it's pretty disgusting to see how unwilling decision-makers are to take a stand on something. Now, I'm not telling you everyone needed to take a stand today. What I am telling you is it's pretty ridiculous that one domino falling precipitates 15 more dominoes falling. What does that tell you? There wasn't any new COVID-19 data released today. There wasn't some eye-opening presentation that was given to someone. There wasn't this platter full of new facts that came out. Everyone's waiting on everyone else to do something. The 95% are followers in our business and in that business. They're just waiting. They're petrified to be criticized. And so they don't want to make a move. The 5% are reporting fact. And the 5% on their side of the fence are the ones that are really sacking up enough to make a decision. So just because you see a tidal wave this way or a tidal wave that way, it doesn't mean that this entire army of people have come across some new data or new information. It means that a couple of people have come across new information or a couple of people made decisions and then everyone else said, all right, hitch up the wagon, time to follow. So that's where we are right now. No answers. No answers. I do strongly, strongly pray 
that all of a sudden you and I wake up over the span of the next two weeks and things have just drastically taken a turn for the better. I know right now predictions are that things are going to be hellish until the end of time, but you know, crazier things have happened. So I don't know, maybe uh, we wake up a couple of weeks from now and things look much better than they do right now. What a fantasy world that would be, huh? Dare I say, we'd love for things to improve enough for conferences to rethink this decision. That's, uh, that, sounds like, that sounds like a fairy tale at this point. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, let's move on. So I was doing the Late Kick Extra podcast uh, yesterday morning, woke up early and did it, and I was looking through the questions and a lot of times I want to lead the podcast with a question that addresses a lot of different programs, a lot of different fan bases. And so obviously this one was really good. I'm going to read you the question and I wanted to go longer form on it. And I figured that this was the proper time to do it tonight. The question was, Josh, if you completely ignored current rosters, you completely ignored recent results and you only evaluated based on a natural path to success, how would you rank the jobs in the SEC. And so I thought about what my criteria would be because there are two camps here. They're kind of two different groups of teams that I think you have to, clusters of teams rather, that you have to drop a program into. You got cluster A, you got cluster B, but I thought about what would matter to me. If I'm, if I'm a premier coach and I have offers from all 14 programs, where am I going and in what order? The first thing that I want to know is your financial resources. Obviously, I got to get yeses to every request that I make. I have to have immaculate facilities and not only immaculate facilities, but I have to have you committed to year over year upgrades. We have to assess this stuff year over year because nothing in this conference and nothing in this sport stays the same. If we're number one right now and we don't move, we'll be number six five years from now. I have to have access to talent and I have to be able to recruit talent. And also, and this is fourth for a reason, I'd love to have an established premier brand. And I'd love to have a trophy case full of hardware. I'd love to have rich tradition. I don't need it, because if I'm one of the best in the business, I think I can establish our tradition. And I think I can fill our trophy case. I, I can sell recruits on the concept of, you're coming here to play in the future, not the past. I'm controlling the future. You're controlling the future. So we'll take care of rewriting the record books here. It's, it's nice to have that tradition. Like I'm going to talk about Alabama in just a second. Uh, wearing that A on the chest, that's really important. Being able to pour it through all those crystal footballs and those little gold statue footballs, it's really important. I don't think it's a necessity to win at the highest level. So with that, 
I had Ted whip together this graphic today and he did it just like that. He had already sent it to director Colin before I even knew it was finished. So Colin, let's show the people the list that I came up with here and I'm going to tell you why I think what I think. I think Georgia is the best job in the Southeastern Conference. This changed for me not long after Kirby Smart got there. It was already near the top, but now to me it's at the top. If you know the history there, I've gone over it several times on this show. There were things I think that Mark Richt was being told no to that Kirby Smart told him he was going to need yeses to that were contingent on his being hired. They wanted Alabama results Saturday. They weren't willing to invest to an Alabama level Monday through Friday. You rest on Sunday, of course. Well, now they do. And so with that in mind, you can obviously recruit Georgia. You are the University of Georgia. You can easily get into Florida. You can easily get into the Carolinas. You've got great facilities there. You've got every commitment level you need met. You got every box you need checked. Georgia is the best job in the SEC right now. Alabama's the number two job. And the reason that I put them there is because what's more competitive right now in the SEC West, even if you are the alpha dog on the block in the SEC West. But see, if I'm a coach, all of these jobs are vacant. I'm not Nick Saban. I'm going there knowing that the benchmark is a couple of legends in Bryant and Saban. And so I may not be turned off by that, but it's a whole lot nicer to go to a place like Georgia where they haven't won a championship in recent memory than one where they've won so many they can't even hold them all uh, in, in two hands. And so it can be uncomfortable if you don't have the right temperament. Nick Saban's unaffected by that stuff, but Nick Saban's also, I don't think, human. And so I'm human. I have a heart. I have feelings. At the same time, you got everything I need to win there too. So Alabama sitting there number two, easily the best brand right now in the SEC. LSU is number three. Scott Woodward goes a long way here. You get the right athletic director in the building, and then you get all those boxes like I'm talking about checked, and you look at their recent facility upgrades and the commitment level there, but you also look at the internal structure and dynamics changing. When Scott Woodward came to LSU, which by the way is home for him, just like it's home for Ed Orgeron. When you brought Scott Woodward back in, there was this retooling and rewiring internally, 95% of which you didn't see and you'll never notice as a fan, but you sure do notice the results on the field. A lot of that has to do with LSU being number three there. They can obviously recruit Louisiana better than anyone. They can very easily get into the Mobile area, Florida, and they can get into East Texas. And that's what separates to me as a job, LSU from Texas A&M, which I put it for. So you can make an argument, Texas A&M should be at number one. Like there are none of these boxes that I keep talking about that A&M doesn't check. Maybe the tradition box, but like I said, you give me the facilities, you give me the recruiting base, you give me the finances to where I can put together a top-notch staff. I'm not worried about how many trophies we have in the case. I'm worried about how many I'm gonna be able to put in there. But here's the difference with Texas A&M. Texas A&M and Texas, have not made a concerted effort in the past to recruit nationally, with good reason. They're parked in a state called Texas. So the thinking there is, we got enough good talent right in our backyard, we don't need to leave the state. Well, that's partially true, but you can't just have a ton of talent. You have to have the right mixture of talent. There may be athletes in Georgia, for example, along the defensive line or offensive line that maybe aren't in plentiful supply in Texas. But I think for a long time, these programs didn't venture out of the boundary of their own state enough to where it's a little more effort for, let's say, Texas A&M to venture into these states than it is for LSU. If I'm the right coach, I change that. But by fractions of points, that's what put Texas A&M behind LSU. 
there is a limitless financial pool right now and always will be at Texas A&M. They're number one by 10 miles on this list when it comes to that. Beautiful stadium, beautiful facilities. They don't lack for anything there. They don't lack for anything whatsoever. Number five was Florida. I was talking to Bud Elliott about two programs on this list today. One of them was Florida. I'll tell you what the other one was in a second. The reason I put Florida down at five, um, you certainly are parked in one of per capita the most talent-rich states in America. Pretty much everyone on this list at the top has that in common. So recruiting's not an issue there. Even if you don't have a staff that's capitalizing on that to a top three per year degree right now, the capability's there. If I'm an elite recruiter, I'm gonna knock it out of the park at Florida. See Urban Meyer, years past, for example. The only reason that I drug my feet a little bit on Florida is because up until recently, Florida fans know all about this, up until recently, with the change at athletic director from Foley to Strickland, there was some dragging of the feet on facility enhancements there. Now, they finally got the yeses, and they finally got it done, and it could be that three or four years from now, once I can see things progress year over year, it may be that I say, all right, well, if Florida is in tune in this category and this category, I could justify putting them as high as number three, number two, but right now I kept them at number five there, only because they're playing catch up a little bit with things that they should have had taken care of already. I put Auburn at number six, Think about the dynamic. I view this as the toughest job in major college football right now when you measure expectation to reality. The investment's not an issue. Auburn invests to a plenty high enough degree to win at the highest level. It's the expectation relative to the reality. Think about what history says Auburn should be. And again, I'm talking about taking the jobs today. Today, you've got possibly the greatest dynasty in the history of the sport in your own state at your arch rival in Alabama. Georgia is on the precipice of being a national championship team. LSU just won a national championship. What does history say Auburn should be right now? History says Auburn should be a total afterthought. They're not. I think that's one thing that makes Gus Malzahn very underrated. But number two, that's why it bumps the Auburn job all the way down to six right now. I mean, I can go places and I can get paid equal to or more than I get paid at Auburn and not have to deal with those shark-infested waters. That is brutal, just ridiculous. And I don't know who in the world you take and put there that's doing a better job, that would take the job and do a better job annually than Gus Malzahn. So that's the current set of affairs there. And the seventh team, and this is the last team in the first cluster, is Tennessee. Tennessee has got to reestablish their brand. I told you branding is the fourth most important bit of criteria for me. But when you stay irrelevant for an entire generation on the national scene, you've got some reestablishing to do. That's the chore in front of Jeremy Pruitt right now. You see Tennessee's logo there, and then you see that Georgia logo. If I'm a recruit in high school, I know I can go to Georgia and compete. I've seen them do it in my lifetime. Obviously, I've seen Bama do it, LSU do it. I've seen A&M uh, not so much do it. But I also know what A&M has over there, and I know it's in limitless supply. I have seen Florida do it in my lifetime. I hadn't seen Tennessee do it. And I haven't seen Tennessee be competitive a lot. Now, having said that, they obviously have the investment. They have the buy-in. They have nice facilities. None of these places in this top cluster are hurting for facilities. But you got to convince me to come there. Or if I'm a coach, i got to convince you to come there over these programs. And that's a tough sell right now establishing and reestablishing that brand that used to be for Tennessee, that's key in vaulting them up the ladder a few rungs right now. Now, that's the end of the first cluster. 
And the first cluster is essentially teams capable of winning a national championship. If things went right, like you may laugh at Tennessee and the concept of them winning a championship. No, not this year. I mean, if things were right, if you had the right guy in charge of that program for half a decade, Tennessee's in contention, as is Auburn, Florida, A&M, LSU, Bama, and Georgia. From eight to 14, they're not. Probably right now, current state of affairs, everything goes right, eight to 14, you're not winning a championship. But think about Kentucky. So this is the one I was talking about with Bud today. On the podcast, which was only 24 hours ago, I put Kentucky down at like 12 or 13. But Bud brings me a different perspective today. And he was talking about the cushy nature of the job that Mark Stoops has. And they've done some writing on this over at Banner Society. Uh, and it's, it's really eye-opening. You know, you're making, just to give you an idea, Stoops, Mark Stoops right now, is making about as much as Nick Saban made when he was hired at Alabama originally. He's making between four and a half and five million a year for the expectation of winning, oh, about seven games a year. Win seven or eight games a year. There's an extension clause in his contract if he wins seven per year. But what you're totally alleviated of is the expectation level. I mean, that's it. Win seven, win eight a year, take us to a decent bowl game, we're happy. You get to live in Lexington, Kentucky, not a bad place to live. So all things considered, if you're not in the championship contention cluster, which I don't think 8 through 14 is, is there a better job? I was convinced of this. I changed my mind about that today. So Kentucky at 8 and South Carolina at 9. You know, South Carolina is kind of in Auburn's position, but from an investment level, from a resource level, probably a notch below Auburn. But when I say they're in their position, the expectation there is compete against Georgia and compete against Florida and compete against Tennessee. The difference is, whereas at Auburn, you know, the resource level by default and by necessity in the West is probably up a couple of notches. You know, even with recent additions at South Carolina, it's not on par with what they have at Georgia, obviously. And so it's tough, last year notwithstanding, tough to compete on a year-in, year-out basis. And from 10 to 14, I didn't even take a stand on the Mississippi schools. I know it said 10 and 11. They're interchangeable. I didn't even rank one over the other. And Missouri, Arkansas, and Vanderbilt rounded out 12 through 14. But you guys, obviously, there will be a lot of consternation and debate about that. You let me know in the comments section what you think. But here's what I ask. I don't mind you telling me I'm wrong. And this is a matter of opinion. I don't know that you can be wrong or right. I don't mind that. Give me logic-based counterpoints. I don't need to hear you're an idiot, Y-O-U-R, and then that's it, and you're gone. You tell me I'm wrong all you want to. Let me know why and let me know what you think. That's what a comment section is for. That's why God invented them. So let's move on here, and let's talk about, uh, actually staying in Athens, Georgia, for just a second. We have talked about a number of players. I probably can't name them all off the top of my head. I know we've talked about coordinators like Kirk Soraka at Penn State. We've talked about Josh Gaddis at Michigan. We've talked about Sam Howell at North Carolina, Kyle Trask at Florida. What we're talking about basically is the most important people figures, if you will, players or otherwise, in college football in 2020. And we haven't talked about Jamie Newman quite yet. Figured, why not? Let's talk about Jamie Newman tonight. Wake Forest quarterback? Nope, not anymore. That's Georgia's quarterback this year. There is so much talk that has happened since the time this kid transferred from Wake Forest to Georgia. Think about the talk. And you didn't have a spring, so all you had to do was talk. You didn't have any snaps to look at. And then you've had uh, the COVID era. And then you still really haven't had fall practice start at all. You haven't obviously had a game to watch. And so you've had all this talk and everyone has offered every form of opinion they possibly could on Jamie Newman. And there's been nothing to go on aside from Wake Forest tape. 
So what do we expect from him? Like there's been this big talk about a dynamic shift, an offensive shift in philosophy with Kirby Smart, and now they've got the trigger man that they need at quarterback, and they've got the offensive coordinator they need in Todd Munkin. So yeah, it could mean all that. It could mean there's a transition in store in Athens this year. But, you know, the first thing that I had someone mention to me when he transferred, he being Jamie Newman, when he transferred to Georgia, one of the first things out of a guy that's close to Georgia's mouth that I trust was, you know, what we're going to benefit from is that the return on that kid is he's a phenomenal leader. Really good locker room guy. Field general was the phrase, the term that was used. And that's important because Georgia lost quite a few of those guys. Those uh, not glue guys, but I mean the field general types, alpha types, the ones that everyone's attention tends to gravitate towards. You got to have them. You got to have them. And Georgia had some of them last year that are not there this year. And it's very important. You don't have to have been on campus more than 10 minutes. If you've got that, you immediately went over the locker room, you went over the roster, and ultimately they see you shoulder that load in game time action and everyone follows you. You got to have those guys though. They're very excited thinking Jamie Newman is that. But you're excited because you want to know what kind of player he is. And the rest of the country does too. Because let me tell you what the rest of the country doesn't want to see. The rest of the country is totally fine with Georgia being dominant defensively. They're totally fine with Georgia being able to run the ball. They're totally fine with all that because they believe if they are Alabama, if they're Clemson, if they're Ohio State, if they're LSU like last year, they're confident that they could drown you offensively. You can't keep up. So you do your bully ball over there. You build that defense and you build that running game. You build that offensive line. We'll be okay. We'll stretch you vertically. We'll torch you. You won't be able to keep up with us. But what they don't want to see is Georgia look across the aisle and take a page out of their playbook. They want to see Georgia modernize offensively. No one wants to see that because that means you potentially could have another tier one program. I already think they're there. A lot of you don't because they haven't won a national championship. Well, I think we can all agree if Georgia's offense is all of a sudden able to kick it up a couple of notches with the defense they already have established, yeah, they've probably arrived in that tier one category. What can Jamie Newman do to that degree? Well, he can extend plays we, I think, heard that a million and one times with Joe Burrow last year. He is a guy that very much allows you to do that. He is a threat with his legs, the likes of which you haven't fully been able to utilize at Georgia in quite a while. He has got a plus to very good arm, plenty good enough for you to stretch the field on teams vertically. Not very many teams have feared Georgia's ability to go over the top. Now, that may partly be because of their lack of ability to do it at quarterback. It also may be because they are not stockpiled with a bunch of future first-round NFL talents at wide receiver. But I'll tell you what it does allow them to do. Guys like George Pickens, Don Blaylock, guys that are upgrades from a star-ranking perspective at the position of wide receiver they've gotten on campus recently, what it allows them to do is maximize their potential. See, a guy like Jamie Newman at quarterback, if he is what you expect that he can be, he elevates the play of guys like that. And what it looks to you is happening, what it looks like to you is happening, is he is making receivers. Guys you didn't know about last year, all of a sudden you know about this year, and you say, where'd they come from? Well, they were there already. It's just that you got a dynamic presence at quarterback now that allows them to take full advantage. Now at the offensive quarter, coordinator position, Todd Munkin has everything he could ever ask for. 
That guy comes in to Georgia, and the first guy that he's probably ever going to go to battle with at his quarterback position has all the physical attributes. He's got all the mental attributes. He's got leadership qualities. You've got a dominant defense to lean on. Can you peak at the right time? I don't know how in the world the schedule is going to end up looking. You know, right now it would have Georgia playing a couple of out-of-conference games and then they go to Tuscaloosa in week three. If everything gets upended, I don't know, maybe we hit the reset button. But if the meat of your schedule is middle to back half, how soon does it take? How long does it take for you to peak? You lost spring, but a lot of people did. You're trying to install on the fly. A lot of people are. It sure does help to have that defense. But if you turn on your TV in the middle of the season and Jamie Newman all of a sudden is making you say, wow, like Georgia, I mean, I've always taken them serious defensively, but Georgia looks like a pinball machine offensively all of a sudden. It would be like you were in the twilight zone, including for Georgia fans. But I'll tell you what else it would do. If it was getting your attention, then it certainly is getting the attention of wide receivers from Miami to Los Angeles and everywhere in between. And it's getting the attention of guys that maybe you just narrowly lose out on right now. It makes that place a destination. You had JT Daniels come in. Um, Eligibility is still not really decided, but if he's the guy following Jamie Newman, you can already tell people we're set at quarterback. This year and in the coming years, we're set. We got Brock Vandegrift, who just shined at Elite 11, a five-star prospect coming in. And we now have evidence, like LSU just compiled last year, Georgia could be the next version of LSU in that they can go into high schools and say, hey, we throw the ball now. We're modernized now. You can maximize your potential here. You're not just coming here to block. You're coming here to catch X number of balls a year. Look at this game and this game and this game and this game where we used a guy that's equal to or maybe lesser than you athletically, and we used him in such a versatile manner. If we did it with him, we just scratched the surface. Imagine what we could do with you. The rest of college football doesn't really want to see that because the rest of college football is fine with how many tier one programs you already have. You certainly don't feel like adding another one. Should have you pretty excited in Athens, Georgia. All right, let's go to Q&A right quick. Uh, and we have got a question that it kind of caught my eye. I had a number of them I was looking at today. Normally, I'll just push the majority of the questions ahead to the next Late Kick Extra podcast. But I thought this one, especially in light of some analysis I've seen in the last 48 hours, I thought this one bore some attention tonight. So it was from Daniel, and it was in the Twitter DM. You can follow me on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. He said, uh, Josh, what are your thoughts on Urban Meyer and how he is handling his new role from the sideline to going into the media world? I think he's handled it very well. I don't know if a lot of you have seen it, and it's not exactly my forte to give you know, a ton of recognition to competing media companies, but I'll do it anyway. He's with Fox Sports, and he's done such a great job there. And I had questions early on. And I had questions not in the department of his acumen or his football knowledge or his ability to be articulate on air, none of that. What I wondered, at his very core, obviously he's a football coach, and at his very core, there is this fire. It's called competitiveness. Few people in the arena of sport have it to the degree that a guy like Urban Meyer has. And I wondered... I don't care what level of this industry you put him at. It could be at the very highest levels. He could have the biggest paycheck. Are you putting something on his plate that quenches that fire? And if you're not, and I can tell you right now, no one can. It's impossible. If you're not, does he just go through this thing on autopilot? And to this point, he has not done that. He instantly became one of the very best in the business because, like I said, his knowledge circles everyone else by 10 miles. 
but he also has a 100% relevancy rating. Think about this for a second. If you were trying to hire someone in this industry, the goal is to hire someone that is obviously a good worker, good work ethic, good knowledge, product knowledge, but you wanna hire someone who's relevant. And Meyer has 100% relevancy. What I mean by that is everyone cares about him one way or the other. You either love him or you hate him, but I can guarantee you this. If you're an Arkansas football fan and you look on your iPhone or your Android and a notification pops up and it says, Urban Meyer sounds off on Arkansas football. Urban Meyer predicts record for Kentucky football this year. Urban Meyer gives his analysis on North Carolina football. Love him or hate him, you are clicking on him. So that makes him one of the best hires in the sport. Everybody cares about him, but also he's engaged. And when he's engaged, uh, there are few watches and few listens better in this sport than him. And he hasn't been hesitant to speak his mind, which is very refreshing. Because I'll tell you what I've seen a lot of former coaches do. A lot of former coaches who get hired to put on a suit and sit at a desk, what they do is they come in and try to be what they think they're supposed to be on TV, which is so antithetical to what you're being hired for. People, with all due respect, I may be cutting my own legs out from under me here, people who can sit in front of a microphone and talk are a dime a dozen. Guys who possess that knowledge and can articulate it are very few and far between. But the problem is, a lot of guys come from that world into this world and they try and act like everyone else in this world. I'm not hiring you to be a robot and look like everyone else in this world. I want you to be you. I'm hiring you to be you. Urban Meyer has been authentically himself and he's been very, very good. And you know, he's a guy who I think may blaze a trail and maybe cast a new vision for what a former coach is supposed to be in this arena. I don't know if he's done coaching football. I know that he insists that he is. I don't know that. But what I will say is, in the meantime, I'm really enjoying what he is offering. And I hope that we continue to get a lot more of it. And I really hope that you continue to tune in. We had a good crowd tonight. I mean, it's the middle of July. We've had no football for it seems like a decade and we got really good viewership. Uh, quick reminder, if you haven't already, subscribe to this channel. It's free. You know, we bring you a ton of content that you're not getting anywhere else. So we'll continue to do that come whatever or whatever. And also subscribe to the Late Kick podcast. You can find that anywhere you download podcasts. You guys have dumped all those five-star reviews on us, and we so appreciate that. The written reviews, we appreciate that too. You can reply to the link right below this video that you're watching with questions for that podcast. You can also hit me in my email inbox or hit me in my Twitter DMs or just a good old-fashioned written review in Apple Podcast, and we'll get to that. We'll get back to you again this Sunday night. Take it easy. We're all in it together. And I know a lot of commercials and brands are telling you that. Half of them are lying to you. We actually are all in this together because we don't exist without you. So we really appreciate you watching tonight. For Director Colin, for Aaron, for Tani, I'm Josh Pate. We'll see you back here Sunday night. God bless. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. 
old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.